1: Welcome to Come Together San Diego, the live local show on K-Praise, designed to explore what unity in the body of Christ sounds like within our communities and beyond. Don't just listen to it, be a part of it. Now, here's your host, Bible teacher, writer, broadcaster, and lover
2: of God, Kaz Taylor. Well, hello, my friends. (laughs) I'm giggling a little bit today, actually laughing, but... You need to take a pen or pencil, unless you're driving, and then take keep it in your brain and make notes when you have an opportunity to do so. This program is going to be vital for you to comprehend what's going on in the earth, in the world, in your life, um, because you may be called on to uh, give an account for the things that you know and the things that you thought you knew, and we're going to be talking about a topic about, uh, I say, the rapture, you know, or being caught up with the Lord. The Bible talks about that in First Thessalonians and other places as well. But the real question for us right now, and this is what you need to pay close attention to, is when is it going to be? You know, there are three different points of view regarding the rapture. One is a pre-tribulation rapture, one is mid-tribulation rapture, and one is post-tribulation rapture. And that period of time uh, is during the seven-year uh, tribulation is spoken of in throughout Scripture, um, and a lot of people embrace one of those three, or even some say, "Oh, m- uh, as they're amillennialists and says they, they say it's already happened. We don't have to worry about it anymore." but I have somebody on the air with me for the entire two hours that is going to give you a point of view that you don't necessarily have to embrace. All we're asking you to do is to consider it, study it out, and then move forward as Holy Spirit tells you to do so. And with such an illustrious introduction, I want to introduce you to friend Dr. Clayton Ford. Clayton, how are you?
3: I'm doing fine, and I appreciate the invitation. Gaz, yes, yes, you're yes. Such a wonderful friend and brother. God bless you.
2: It's my it's to, my total pleasure. And now, my listening friend, many of you already know where you align, or at least you think you know where you align on the rapture. Is it going to happen before? The tribulation begins, or in the middle, that's called mid-tribulation, or at the end, which is called post-tribulation rapture, or is it uh, already uh, all those things are already taken place, and you don't need to worry about it? Well, Doctor Ford, he, he you know he embraces eschatology, but he I've known him for a long time, and I wouldn't see see him as a guy who only talks. Eschatology. He's a guy who's a lover of the body of Christ, but when he gets a topic that he needs to dig into and give a godly point of view, he is there and he's got. You know, he's he's the national co-director of the Holy Spirit Renewal Ministries, um, and one of the tasks that they have is to discover what's out there and compare it with the truth and make a stance. So I'm I'm finished introducing you. I'm going to give you the floor, Doctor Clayton. Ford, and let you carry it from here. But why don't you start with a little overview of the who, why, what, where, when, and how of Dr. Clayton Ford, and then you can launch out.
3: Okay, let me just say a brief prayer as we get started. Yes, Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you um, that you have called us by name, and you love us, and we invite your Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Truth, to open our eyes and our hearts and our understanding to know what your word says, what your will is, and we thank you and praise you. We humble ourselves and give you glory and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Well, I've been a pastor for decades, and I'm not one actually who's really ever specialized or given much, much teaching on or, or sermons on the subject of the tribulation, the rapture, and second coming. I've had my viewpoints, but I've also believed the main thing is to make the main thing the main thing.
2: <laughs> <laughs> See, there's a the doctor for you. I mean, great wisdom there. Make the main yeah, thing the main, main thing. thing. main thing <laughs> Thank is,
3: you. Is, uh, proclaiming the good news of Christ and making disciples, lifting him up, being his ambassadors. And so I, in years past, had thought about the rapture, tribulation, second coming as kind of a more peripheral thing it's interesting to talk about we need to be you know thinking about prepared but I know there's been a danger of disunity and as a pastor I've had an umbrella in the church so to speak where I've had people with different points of view but looking around in our world today and I don't have to go through all the different things that are happening unbelievable Mm, things. never
2: happened before to my knowledge me
3: either And it it makes the things of the end times seem far more important, like the signs of the times. And, you know, I approach this with humility, and yet I have a a firm point of view that will be different than what most of you, or perhaps most of you, I'm not sure. But here's here's what I'm talking about today, why I believe— that the church will be raptured at the second coming of Christ and not before the Great Tribulation. In other words, I believe Christians are going through, and before you turn off your radio...
2: (laughs) I don't think they are, doctor.
3: (laughs) (laughs) The Bible is our authority, and I intend to prove to you, showing you explicit teachings of Scripture, why I believe as I do. Could I be wrong? Yes, as a matter of fact, I'd be happy to be wrong. I'll be the first to apologize on my way up to my (laughs) three-true buddies and sisters. But it's too important. It's not just important as a theological thing, like truth matters, which it does matter, but it matters on the practical level now, because if people are putting all their eggs in that basket, so to speak, and they find themselves moving into what is clearly a tribulation period that jesus described i, I think most of my almost all my pre-trib uh, friends are are deeply grounded enough that they would just adapt and change their theology yes. well i didn't have that right but it's also related to our witness if we make the pre-trib rapture an evangelistic tool and we tell people this is going to happen and then it doesn't happen then yeah. they think, well, if that didn't happen, why should I believe any of it? Yes,
2: yes, so yes. I, you know, you I think, know. I'm, I'm, I'm going to make one comment, then I'm going to hand the whole thing sure. over to you. But my, my listening sure. friend, years ago, when, when we were not in, into the troublous times that we're in now, people could t- t- espouse those beliefs, and it really wouldn't do any harm because no one knew. But someday, someone, somewhere, is going to experience the tribulation— And uh, if you are espousing one thing and it doesn't happen that way, it has significant uh, danger for those who have embraced it because of the people who innocently listened, and all of a sudden they go, but it's not happening that way, what do I do? So I I think you uh, sharing this insight is valid. Pay close attention, my friends, because the Bible says to study to show yourself approved unto God rightly dividing the word of truth. That means you can wrongly divide it. I'm going to hand it over to Clayton. We've got about uh, two or three minutes in this segment. Have it your way. I just
3: wanted to say, um, get your Bibles if you don't have them with you, because I'm going to be reading some scriptures and showing you explicitly what the Bible has to say. But also, if you would like a full summary of everything I'm sharing, you can get that either by going to my blog at ClaytonFord.net, that's C-L-A-Y-T-O-N-F-O-R-T dot N-E-T, or emailing me at ClaytonFord at sbc and I'll be glad to send you everything I have, including a three-hour video seminar I did on this subject. But my my, my academic training is a a, a bachelor's at Davidson College. I have an MDiv degree. I got a a degree. I got a of ministry degree over 40 years of pastoral leadership, and I've uh, been a leader, uh, a leader in Holy Spirit with no Ministries for several decades. But more important than any of that, I believe, is that I've read the whole Bible cover to cover 30 to 40 times is my guess, maybe maybe more than that. The Bible is our authority. You know, people, um, they use charts, they look at movies, they read best-selling books. But I think you would agree with me. It's not what the charts and the best-selling books and the movies show. It's what does the Bible actually teach. And and that's what I'm going to talk about. And I just want to say uh, real quickly, it's important for Christians to be ready for whatever comes. Jesus didn't prepare us to escape. He prepared us to endure.
2: Mm well, wow, wow, prepared
3: wow. us to endure. So, so my listening uh,
2: friend, here's the deal. Uh, I, I know Clayton's going to let her rip here for the remainder of the show, but, but the, the, the issue is really you and I, we have an obligation to know God's Word. And the other piece of the equation is Holy Spirit will guide you into all truth. So if you're not entrusting Holy Spirit to give you directions, then that's the starting point. Uh, okay, we're going to, uh, I know you're going to be j- jumping into this in the next segments. My listening friend, I hope uh, that uh, Dr. Clayton Ford has whet your appetite. Now he's going to go into this, uh, the insights that he's studied through. I want you to take copious notes and then dig it out yourself because it's got to be you convinced of things rather than somebody else telling you who, why, what, where, when, and how. We'll talk more about that when Dr. Clayton Ford and Kaz come right back. This
1: is Come Together San Diego, the live local show on KPraise. More Come Together San Diego is just moments away. Now, back to Come Together San Diego, the live local show on KPraise with Kaz Taylor.
2: Yes, indeed. Kaz and Dr. Clayton Ford talking about the rapture, who, why, what, where, when, and how and I'm going to hand it early on over to uh, Dr. Ford because he has many things he wants to share. And we only have <laughs> a two-hour show. Can you believe that, <laughs> yeah, no. Dr. Well, Ford? <laughs> we had two weeks.
3: Yeah. <laughs> you know, Kaz, if there ever was a time for Christians to study and know the Bible, uh, I mean, that's always the case. But definitely now, Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, Study to Show Yourself Approved. A workman who has no need to be be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Yes. So important that not only we believe the Bible's authority, but we rightly handle it. We learn how to understand it and interpret it. Um, in Second Timothy 3.16, all scriptures inspired by God and profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness. So studying and understanding it. We... There are some responsible tools of interpretation that are so important. Um, we don't treat the Bible like a like a magic eight ball where we, you know, shake you know magic eight ball when I was a kid. You know, does,
2: <laughs> some may remember that.
3: Third grader, I was. Does Patsy love me? Yes, no, maybe. Try again later. <clears throat> a lot of people use the Bible. They pick up the Bible, open it up, and and ask a question and put their finger down. You know, that's, that's no way to study the Bible. It's, I mean, God could use anything, but that's not studying to show yourself approved. Uh, you know, things like learning principles of interpretation, like the historical and, and literary context of a passage or a book of the Bible, who wrote it, when, why, what's the point, all those kinds of things. A good study Bible can help with that. But the literary context, too, when we're reading, say, for example, one of Paul's letters, we don't just open it up to the middle and put our finger down. Uh, we read the paragraphs before and after wow. we see the context it's in so that we get a feel for what it means. Now, some of the important principles, uh, for example, and I'm going to zero in on one in particular, but historical literary context balance, we... We, we look at all the relevant passages and not just ones that support our point of view. Ooh. We interpret the Old Testament from a New Testament perspective because Christ fulfills the Old Testament. So we see the Jewish feasts and ceremonies and holidays and Sabbaths are all uh, viewed from a New Testament perspective. Uh, Colossians 2.16, don't let anyone judge you by New Moon, Sabbaths, feasts, et cetera, et cetera. These are a shadow of what's to come. The reality is Christ. So we learn how to understand and interpret the scriptures that way. And what I want to zero in on today, I call the doctrine test. And it's a very helpful way to evaluate teachings, sermons, um, explicit, implicit speculation, the, the three Three things I want you to learn from what the doctrine test is. It's a very helpful way to evaluate. Explicit means this passage says this specifically, explicitly, straight out. For example, Christ rose from the dead. The resurrection of Christ is a doctrine explicitly supported by the scriptures. The same with the cross. Jesus died for our sins. He's coming back again. Explicit. Implicit are things that are proven, easily proven from scriptures, like the Trinity. But the word itself isn't used specifically. Uh, we know that the Father is God, Jesus is God, the Son right. is, this, and, and the Holy Spirit is God. One yep. God exists Elohim, three yes. The third is speculation. Um, so you got explicit, implicit. Speculation is guessing, where the Bible doesn't say something explicitly. Uh, so you, you guess, well, it could be this, or it could be that. An example would be in Second Thessalonians chapter 2, where the Bible talks about the restrainer, uh, who or what is the restrainer. We'll get to that later, but the point I'm making now is it's speculative. We don't know for sure what that is. So the doctrine test is particularly useful as we approach the passages of Scripture that relate to end times things, to the tribulation, the rapture, and the second coming. We want our beliefs as Christians to be grounded and grow out of what the scriptures teach. So it's appropriate to, to put our beliefs about the rapture, second coming, tribulation. It's, it's, it's good, it's expected, it's appropriate to build on explicit passages of scripture and implicit where it's clear clearly proven proven by scripture it is not okay to build doctrines on guesses or speculation or inferences that you know kind of well it could mean that and then you build on it some mm-hmm. people would say could be this and could be that and then they'll build a whole doctrine on top of what it could be or might be or they hope it will be um it's not honest to take a speculation and elevate it in an authority by by saying the Bible clearly teaches mm. what it does. not Some preachers, they yell louder when they're not sure of what they're saying. They bang <laughs> on the pulpit maybe a little bit longer. I, I heard one man say, um, well, everyone knows, or uh-huh. obviously, or anyone with half a brain. I even heard one... In times, teachers say, stand. Say, I stand before you, you a prophet of the Lord. And if mm-hmm. you don't believe what I'm saying, you're in rebellion against God. That mm-hmm. was, in effect, what what that person was saying. So we need to be a little more humble than that about our opinions.
2: Uh, including- would you say that it's true that if a person espouses these things and they have espoused them so long, their whole reputation is at stake if they change their mind? So I mean, they have they have a reputation issue. Uh, and there's pride embedded in that. Would you say that?
3: I agree with you totally. I think you can be so invested in something that, that you know, it's like if, if people buy into, uh, say, like the pre-tribulation rapture, they've seen the movies or their preachers have preached on it, or it could be a, any other doctrine for that matter. Um, they find themselves interpreting every scripture by that belief instead of, putting that belief on the altar and mm. say, God, I want to know what your scripture actually teaches. I, I want to know. So what I'm sharing with you today is why I believe the Bible explicitly teaches that the rapture of the church takes place at the second coming of Christ. It's not an inference. It's explicit. It's okay. not a gift. And I intend to prove this. So, let I want to let you decide based on what the scriptures say. So,
2: we've got about three minutes or so. So, have your way, okay. Doctor.
3: All right. Well, let's get started with, with one of these. The first, uh, for those who are unfamiliar with the term rapture, it's derived from the Latin word rapio, which is a, a translation of the Greek New Testament word harpazo. It means being caught up in First Thessalonians chapter four, this refers to the scripture in verse chapter four, verse seventeen, which, which says, "Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, so we'll always be with the Lord." So, rapture has become a popular word used to refer to the experience of Christians being caught up to meet the Lord when He comes for His church. Some Christians uh, believe that the rapture takes place prior to the tribulation period, um, and I'm trying to prove to you today that that's not true. Um, but but the the rapture then is being caught up, and whether it's pre your pre-tribulation rapture, if you if you believe it's caught up before the tribulation, then Christians don't go through that period. And your mid tribulation, if you think it's somewhere in the middle, and your post, if you believe it's at the second coming of Christ after that period. I'm one who believes that the Bible clearly teaches that the second coming of Christ is when we're raptured. Now, we're going to look at couple of scriptures. I don't know if I have time to get into you've those got hour, uh,
2: You've but... got about 30 seconds before we have to go to commercial break. So why don't you do this? You can be a little tease right now and say, here's where we're going. Okay. That's what we do in the radio business. And here's what's coming up next. So I'm going to give you 30 seconds to say what we're going to talk about in the next segment. So my listening friend, you can be prepared. So doctor, okay. where are we going?
3: We're going to look at Matthew 24 verses 29 to 31. So get your Bibles out. We're going to compare that with... Uh, with First Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 15 to 18. And we're going to see uh, what the Bible says in those passages. One is teaching by Jesus, the other is teaching by the Apostle Paul. And we're going to see what they have to say about when the rapture of the church is. Oh, my. So, get your Bible, get ready. <laughs> to So, Sandy-ish.
2: my listening friend, I, ho- I hope you get what's going on here. You need to pay close attention to this. And uh, I don't think... Uh, uh, clayton ford or i are saying you must demonstrably believe what is being shared right now i think we're both saying you need to study to show yourself approved in other words you take this you allow holy spirit to help you dig through the scripture and you have to come up with something that you can stand before the lord with because it's not your your pastor or teacher or anybody else it's you and the lord who have to come to this conclusion and it's best for you to do due diligence so dr clayton ford and kaz we'll be right back
1: more Come Together San Diego with Cass Taylor is next on K Praise. Now, more of Come Together San Diego, the live local show on K Praise.
2: Here's Cass Taylor. Yes, indeed. I'm here with Clayton Ford, and the topic is the Rapture. Who, why, what, where, when, and how, and why in the world do you need to understand the options and make the right choice? And we have with us today my co-host for this show, Dr. Clayton Ford. I'm going to hand the baton to you very quickly, but my listening friend, one of the things that I've come to know about Clayton Ford is that he, he's not a, a passive believer. In other words, uh, he, uh, he is biblical, he is systematic, he is systematic, you know, there's a scripture that talks about line upon line, line upon line, precept upon precept, precept upon precept, and here a little, there a little. A lot of teachers on the rapture take the here a little, there a little, and they major on it, and uh, nobody even ha- has the wisdom to second, uh, apply second thought to that because of the prowess of the person. I'm going to hand the baton over to you, uh, Mr. line upon line biblical s- specialist, and uh, lay it on us would you be so kind to Clayton Ford?
3: Thank you, dear brother. Before the break, we talked about the doctrine test, and we're going to apply the doctrine test to a number of scriptures to see if these passages support uh, the pre-trib, post-trib, mid-trib, whatever. Are they explicit, implicit, or are they speculation? And my my, uh, intention is to prove to you that the Bible explicitly teaches that we are raptured at the second coming of Christ, which means we need to be prepared to endure whatever comes. Mm, will wow. we be that last generation wow. before the second coming of Christ? It would be helpful to know that so that we will be ready.
2: <laughs> it would indeed.
3: We will be ready. So let's take a look at then at Matthew chapter 24, verse 29 to 31. Where Jesus said, immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then will appear in the heavens the sign of the Son of Man, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to another. Now evaluating this passage with the doctrine test, I I do believe it's explicit that Christ's appearing can refer only to his second coming. Jesus clearly states this happens after the tribulation period. He returns visibly if the Says, all the tribes of earth will see him. He'll return with power and great glory, so it's not invisible. His followers will be gathered to him when he comes. That's the rapture. Now, that's explicitly the rapture at the second coming. Let's look at a passage that is widely used as the most important passage. It's the only passage with the word. Uh, that is translated uh, into English as rapture. Um, it's the only one, and this is 1 Thessalonians 4:15 to 18. Paul wrote, For this we declare to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, And with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first, then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So we will always be with the Lord. Let's evaluate that using, and again, that's the the verse that has rapture in it, specific word that's translated rapture, caught up. Harpazo in the Greek, rapio in the Latin. Evaluating it, this passage, like I said, is one of the most widely used to try to prove the the pre-trib rapture. And yet evaluating the passage, we see there's nothing here to support that. What does it teach? It explicitly teaches that Christ will return noticeably, not secretly, in power and glory with a cry of command with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet. The coming of the Lord, parousia, parousia is the Greek word for coming, used widely, for commonly, as the second coming of Christ. And and that is, there's no biblical justification uh, to believe that these two passages, Matthew 24 and 1 Thessalonians 4, Aren't the same event that they uh, they they do refer to the same event. It's it's explicitly used in Matthew twenty four, Parousia, and it's used here. And in other words, the rapture takes place at the second coming of Christ, not before. There's nothing in that passage that says being caught up precedes the second coming. See what we want to do is look in the Bible, is there any passage of scripture that says the rapture of the church takes place before the tribulation period? Or do all the relevant scriptures, all the scriptures that speak to it at all, do they say that the rapture takes place at the second coming? We've seen these two are explicit. They teach the rapture is at the second coming. Now, let's take a look while we've got the time at, more of these passages. Let's see. What do we have here? We'll look at First Thessalonians chapter 1 verses, no, Second Thessalonians chapter 1 verses 5 to 10. Um, this is evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you're suffering, since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you be glorified in his saints now here's another passage that seems inescapably explicit when will god afflict those who afflict his people quote when the lord jesus is revealed from heaven when will god grant relief to his children who are being afflicted quote when the lord jesus is revealed from heaven when will those who reject god and The gospel suffer eternal destruction, quote, when he comes on that day. When will Jesus be glorified in his saints, quote, when he comes on that day? The day that Christ is revealed from heaven is clearly visible, referring to his second coming with his mighty angels in flaming fire, at which time he will comfort his followers and deal with his enemies. It would be speculation. Even worse than speculation, it would be, ignoring what it says explicitly to say that the event of Christ's coming refers to anything other than his second coming.
2: Wow. A lot of things to sip on here. We've got about uh, two and a half minutes or so, so I'm handing it back to you just so that you have the awareness of when we have to take a commercial break, Dr. Ford.
3: Let's take a look at a couple more here. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 50 to 52. I tell you, brothers, flesh and blood can't inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the imperishable inherit the imperishable, but behold I tell you a mystery, we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. Now let's apply the doctrine test to that. This passage is often cited as a verse supporting the pre-trib rapture, but how can that be so when verse 52 says explicitly that our transformation happens at the last trumpet? We know from other passages that we have looked at that there's a trumpet blast at Christ's second coming. The Greek New Testament word for last is eschaton. You know what that means? It means Last it means the ultimate last the extreme last uh, that at which after which there is no other how can this last trumpet refer to the next to the last trumpet 7 years prior to the last trumpet <laughs> simply again, oh my which are formed in the twinkling of an eye when Christ comes back at a second coming
2: wow wow, wow. we've got about uh, 30 let's say 60 seconds right now for you to, once again, give that tease. You're doing such an excellent job uh, in, exp- uh, in exposition, sharing some insights here. And I, I, I maybe your the, the lead in your pencil, my listening friend, is wearing out. Grab another one, or if you dare to, use ink. <laughs> so where are we going? About 30 seconds to tease what's coming up next, Dr. Ford.
3: Okay, get your Bible and turn to Second Peter chapter 3. I honestly want to look at all the relevant scriptures about this subject so that you don't think I'm trying to skirt around uh, some we're going to be looking at probably your your the ones that you think are are important like revelation three fifth three ten we're going to be looking at lots of things so get your Bibles uh, Peter has a lot to say about this in second Peter chapter three concerning yes. the end times. So be ready to rock and roll.
2: Yes, yes, yes. By the way, this show will also show up in the archives around uh, a couple days from now. So you want to find out, and you you might want to listen to this about a thousand times. (laughs) So we're going to talk about some things that are just uh, some evidence that you need to be aware of when Dr. Clayton Ford and Kaz come right back.
1: This is Come Together San Diego, the live local show on K-Praise. More Come Together San Diego is just moments away. Now, more of Come Together San Diego, the new live local show on K-Praise. Here's Cass Taylor.
2: Indeed, my friends, I'm back with Dr. Clayton Ford with more letters at the end of his name uh, than you can believe, but he never even mentions that. He uh, is credible, he, for sure, and he's the national co-director at uh, Holy Spirit Renewal Ministries. Uh, we're digging deeply in the topic of when is the rapture, and why do you need to be aware of the differences and how to make the right choice. And, and, and uh, Dr. Clayton, I love the doctrine test of is it explicit, is it clearly implicit or implied, or is it speculative? And the issue is uh, people are trying to build doctrines around speculation. I'm going to hand it to you. Take it where you want to go there, doctor.
3: Okay, thank you, dear brother. Uh, we've looked at a number of scriptures, and right now we're looking at 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 2 to 4 and 8 to 13. <clears throat> you should remember, Peter writes, the pred- predictions of the holy prophets and commandments of the Lord and Savior through your apostles, Knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their old, own sinful desires. They'll say, where is the promise of his coming? But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that the Lord, with the Lord, one day is a thousand years, and a thousand years as a day. Boy, isn't that the truth? Oh, <laughs> my. We feel that way. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and thus, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar. The heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved. The earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed, i.e., exposed to his judgment. Right. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, think about that. <laughs> Dissolve, destroyed. What sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. For according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Now, let's evaluate this with the doctrine test I encourage you to read the whole chapter for context later but in this passage Peter exhorts believers to trust God that the day of the Lord which is the second coming of Christ to save his faithful followers and judge the wicked that the day of the Lord is indeed coming in spite of what scoffers say God isn't slow about his promise but he's delaying because he wants as many people as possible to repent and be saved, he loves everybody. Peter goes on to describe what will happen when Christ returns, uh, when when he comes, the heavens and the earth will be either or, you know burned up, dissolved, the earth exposed. Um, you just don't want to go through that. That's his point. The whole thing is going to be cataclysmic, and he's 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 telling us. In light of what's coming, he asks Christians, what sort of people ought you to be? They need to be people who are living lives of holiness and godliness as they wait for his
2: coming. Wow. You're saying, uh, uh, Dr. uh, Clayton Ford, you're saying that God... Well, it's actually scriptural. Not, uh, God is not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. And what you're saying is there's a lot of work to be done between the bringing, the beginning of a, the tribulation period of time and the end. There's a lot of souls that can and should be saved, and you're wondering how that's going to happen? Look in the mirror, my friend. Look in the mirror. Handing it back to you, yep. Doctor.
3: Well, true. As people say, why would God allow his people to go through uh, the tribulation period? There you go. You just answered the question, Kess, because he loves people and wants them to be saved. That's why. Jesus said in John chapter 17, I don't ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one, he prayed to the Father. Why does he not take us out of the world during those times? It's because he loves people, and we Mm -hmm. are his ambassadors and his lights. Well, this is explicit that Peter is speaking to Christ's followers who will be living on the earth as they wait for the second coming of Christ. To be prepared for his coming, which will be accompanied by the destruction of the heavens and and cataclysmic events for the entire cosmos, his followers must live to honor God. Wow. The wicked will be judged, the righteous will be saved, and we'll be looking forward to a new heaven, and a new earth. Who? Wow. Isn't that beautiful? A new heaven and a new earth. There's no pre-trib rapture here. There just isn't. We're all looking to that day. And, uh,
2: and it's God's compassion. We go, why don't you have compassion on us and take us out? But he has compassion on the whole world so that he can put his people in place to save as many as who are willing to be saved.
3: That's True. You know, the, the same question, why would God allow his children to go through that horrible period of time? You could ask the same thing. Why did he allow his son to go through that horrible wow. time when Jesus could have called legions of angels and not gone through it? And Jesus even prayed, Father, if I don't have to go through this, please remove this cup,
2: yeah, let the from, cup me. Pass from me. Wow. He wow. said,
3: if possible, but see, it wasn't possible because God so loved the world that he gave his son, and Jesus went to the cross, the Bible says, who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, and for the joy set before believers that more souls will come into the kingdom, <laughs> we will endure, wow. Jesus said, the one who endures to the end will Ooh. be saved. We shouldn't be looking to be raptured out. I mean, you look at what most of the world is going through now. Yes. Many places in the world, Christians are being killed for their faith, yes. There's starvation, there's famines, there's so many things going on. Uh, we dare not think that somehow we are superior to them and that we're not going to have to pay the price of suffering you know we don't embrace suffering um, we don't go looking for suffering in, in life for us is not an escape from suffering we embrace suffering we endure suffering not go looking but endure it for a greater good mm. Jesus embraced endured the suffering so that the world could be forgiven and so that people could come to salvation in Jesus Christ, and uh, that's that's why we that's why we can prepare our minds, our hearts to go through whatever comes. I mean, like I said, if I'm wrong, I'll be I'll be a happy camper. Oh,
2: I, I right. can identify with you completely. You know, it, it would be convenient to believe pre-tribulation rapture, it would be convenient because then you don't have to go through this stuff. But if you really look at the character of God, he's not willing that any should perish. What's he going to do so that they don't perish? And if you're gone, how can people be impacted by nobody here? Please. Yep,
3: yep. And you look at what happened to his, his first disciples, his first apostles' disciples. You look, most of them were killed for their faith. Most of them went through terrible suffering. Um, well, we've got we about one minute to, left, uh,
2: Dr. Clayton. Okay, Ford, how would you like to close this segment and uh, tease for the next segment? The first hour <laughs> kind of went quickly, didn't it?
3: Yes. Well, we're going to be looking at 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. We're going to see uh, explicit teaching concerning the rapture of the second coming, and we're going to see uh, a passage about the restrainer, that is speculation. and yes. we're going to talk about both of those and how to use this doctrine of um, this doctrine test to evaluate these things. This is one of the most explicit passages concerning the rapture and second coming. So, get your Bible, get <laughs> ready, and uh, get, hold on. We're my to we're going to get to this.
2: Oh my my, Dr. Clayton. Ford, um, the co-director, national co-director of Holy Spirit Renewal Ministries. My listening friend, I hope you're paying close attention and you're taking notes and you can go back to the archives in a few days and check, check this out and listen to it many, many, many times because we are in times where we need to get it right. And I thank you, Dr. Clayton Ford, for starting us on that path, but continuing this path when we come right back.
1: This is Come Together San Diego, the live local show on K-Praise. More Come Together San Diego is just moments away.
0: I'll tell the world
1: Come Together San Diego with Kaz Taylor on K-Praise.
2: Uh, well, welcome back, my friends. I am not alone. I am with Dr. Clayton Ford, and uh, we are dealing with a topic that he is stirred to teach from Scripture, and it is tied to when is the... Rapture or the being taken out of the church. And many people say it's going to happen uh, before the tribulation or mid tribulation or post tribulation. And he's uh, introducing some, uh, I would say, ironclad uh, strategies to determine what is an explicit truth, what is an implied truth, and what is simply speculation. And before I hand it off to him, you know, it reminds me of when you see in, in, in shows where you have. a a judge and a jury and, and lawyers and things like that, raise your hand and repeat after me, I promise to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help me God. This, so help me God, is the vital component there. And one of the things we talk about in the Scripture, we talked about Second uh, Timothy, where it says, study to show yourself approved unto God. Really, that's where it is. It's unto God, not unto the appreciation of a teacher, a pastor, a leader, or someone who's espousing one doctrine or another. And the only way that you can really do that is by Holy Spirit directing you. And so I'm trusting that Holy Spirit directs you through what uh, Dr. Clayton Ford is sharing about going through the tribulation and it is God's mercy that you're going through for the sake of others that need to hear what you have to say. Handing the baton to Dr. Clayton Ford. Lay it on us, doctor.
3: Okay, thank you, dear brother. Just summarizing what we've covered so far, we've found that the following scriptures explicitly teach that the rapture of the Church happens at the second coming of Christ and not before it. Matthew 24, 29 to 31. 1 Thessalonians 4, 15 to 18. Second Thessalonians 1, 5 to 10. Second Thessalonians 2, 1 to 8. We'll be covering that in a minute. First Corinthians 15, 51 and 52. And Second Peter 3, 2 and 13. That's huge. <laughs> That's, That's huge. huge. Now, right now we're going to look at. 2nd Thessalonians chapter 2 verses 1 through 8 and like I said this is an example of explicit and also related to the restrainer uh, where you have to speculate but you don't build a doctrine on that now let's take a look reading from 2nd Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 1 now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to him you notice that the coming Greek mm-hmm. word parousia the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, and our being gathered together to him. We ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed, either by spirit or spoken word or letters seeming to be from us, to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come until, unless the rebellion comes first, and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, or perdition, who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God and object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. Do you remember that when I was still with you, Paul said, I told you these things, and you know what is restraining him now so that he may be revealed in his time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Boy, is that not true in our day. Only he who now restrains it will do so until he is out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. Now, first, we'll evaluate the use of the doctrine test by using the doctrine test on the concerning the uh, rapture and the second coming here we go this is one of the most explicit passages listen clearly christians will meet christ be raptured when he comes back second coming and he won't come back until after the man of lawlessness elsewhere called the antichrist comes to power and deceives the world jesus will kill this man of lawlessness When he comes back, explicit, it says, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, that's the second coming, and quote, our being gathered to him when he comes, that's the rapture. That is not going to happen until after, after the man of lawlessness has done this, his evil thing. When Jesus comes back and raptures the church, he'll also at that time destroy the man of lawlessness. It may seem like I'm being repetitive. I guess, I guess I am, but I want to make sure you get this. Why? Jesus comes back one time at the second coming, and that is when the church is gathered to meet him. That's explicit. That's explicit. Now, let's move on to the doctrine test to understand the identity of the restrainer who holds back lawlessness and the man of lawlessness until the allotted time. Seems like in our day... The restrainer is moving out of the way a little bit here. This is interesting because the Greek word used for the one restraining lawlessness is used here in two ways. One reference is a neuter party, participle, like it's a fourth, like you know what is restraining the, the man, of, man of lawlessness. You know what. And the other, the other uh, verse 6, says it's, it's a masculine participle only he who restrains so you've got both neuter and masculine although Paul may have told the Thessalonians who or what the restrainer he says remember I told you he didn't tell us either here or in any other passage <laughs> so
2: everybody so people that are teaching the pre-tribulation rapture are saying the Holy Spirit and and the church basically is taken out before this time. yeah. But one, another way to deal, to deal with this, it could be the one new man in Messiah. It could be the body of Christ. Uh, I mean, there are a lot of different extrapolations from that, and it's not, as you say, you know, it's not explicit. At best, it's Kaz, speculative.
3: Kaz, there are at least 30 speculations, uh, theologically 30, as to the restrainer's identity. Three of the more prominent theories include the Roman Empire or Emperor, or more broadly, governmental authority in general. And we'll take a look at these in a minute. The second is the Holy Spirit. The Mm -hmm. third is Archangel Michael. Uh, One could advance arguments for any of these and a number of others, I'm sure. Um, Let's let's look at, for example, the function of governmental authorities to keep peace and maintain order. When there's a collapse of governmental authority, and we see that happening in many cities uh, across our country at the moment. There's unrestrained rioting, looting, oh my. Uh, movement to defund police, re- disrespecting our flag, rebelling against foundational values and principles.
2: You've been watching the news, haven't you?
3: I sure have, brother, and <laughs> I've been praying hard. <laughs> we can't help but see the expansion of lawlessness happen before our eyes. Can you imagine what would happen if... United States government collapsed. Oh my. God forbid. And what lawlessness would happen throughout not only our country, but the world, no doubt. Could the collapse of government authority be the restrainer? Perhaps. But so could the Archangel Michael. You could make a case. Sure. Daniel chapter 10 and Daniel chapter 12, where the Archangel Michael stood in the way of the Prince of Persia and did battle with this uh, demonic spiritual uh, entity. Um, when when Daniel was praying, De- uh, Michael came and had to do battle, and he restrained, you know, the, the, that Prince of Persia. Uh, so could it be that? Possibly. What did
2: you say? The there were the 30 different options that uh, Bible expositors yes, the, came up with? I bet you there's even more.
3: <laughs> the, the third is the Holy Spirit, and that's the one used often by... The pre-tribulation rapture theory. It might possibly be the Holy Spirit. The point is, whatever we think that answer is, it's not explicit. It's not, without a doubt, it's not easily proven from Scripture. We'd have to conclude that whatever we decide, it's speculation. It's okay to say, well, you know, it could mean this. It's not okay to build a whole doctrine on it, and I want to show you one example. Okay, we've got about uh,
2: one minute and 30 seconds again, so okay use it however you want then we're going to come I, my listening friend i hope you're, you're being enticed by this and taking notes go ahead doctor
3: yeah one example of this widespread use of scripture to prove the pre-trib rapture is speculative speculation number one the holy spirit is the restrainer we don't know that for, for you know it could be a number of things we don't know um, speculation number two since the restrainer is the holy spirit if you say that's the holy spirit uh, if he's taken out of the way, that means the Holy Spirit must be taken out of the world. Does our passage support that? No, it doesn't. It's a guess. Uh, the, the, the third one is speculation three, built upon the other two. Since the Holy Spirit's taken out of the world, this must mean the church yes. is raptured at that time because the Holy Spirit dwells the church, so Christians are out of the world. Two, that, that supports pre-trib rapture. But does the passage say anything about that? Of course it does no. not. It's all built upon speculation. speculation. So what's the tease
2: for the next segment? I don't mean to interject here, but we've only got about 30 seconds left before we do go oh, to commercial break.
3: Yes. We're going to get into some heavy-duty stuff. <laughs> our Christians oh, what do you mean, to, get into? Are <laughs> Christians going to experience God's wrath? during the tribulation period. Here we go. Here we go. Oh so hold on your your
2: seatbelt. My listening friend, we will be right back. More Come
1: Together San Diego with Cas Taylor is next on K-Praise. Come Together San Diego with Kaz Taylor on K-Praise.
2: Wow, wow, wow. Are we getting, uh, we're getting the truth and it's your obligation my listening friend to weigh and pray this and let holy spirit direct you accordingly. I'm so pleased to have Dr. Clayton Ford with me to extrapolate some insights about the rapture and when it will happen and he's giving you clear evidence and he's using a threefold technique and that technique has has everything to do with being explicit or implicit or speculative. So I'm going to hand it back to you Dr. Clayton Ford, and you have stirred a lot of people, I'm sure. They can go back to the archives and hear it again and again and again and again and again. Dr. Clayton Ford.
3: Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Cass. Yes. Uh, before, Before I get into this question, will Christians experience wrath during the tribulation period, I just want to, again, just say that we've covered, I forget, seven or eight different passages that explicitly teach explicitly teach that the rapture takes place at the second coming of Christ. Also, if you take a look at survey, the the parables that Jesus taught about, those that touch on the end times um, also teach the same thing. Matthew 24, parable of the ten virgins, uh, parable of the talents. Uh, he comes back, and they're all judged together. The sheep and the goats, same thing. All these are consistent with what the teachings that we've already looked at have told us. The wheat and the tares. Uh, oh my! Yes, so many. Keep keep every you know keep everyone together. You know don't don't root out the weeds until the harvest, and then the, the harvest happens, and they gather the you know, they burn the the weeds, and they gather the the wheat. So the reason I point this out is it's. It's really huge, as I said a minute ago. In fact, I personally believe we have proven from Scripture the proof is insurmountable, in my opinion, that the rapture's at the second coming. And in order to teach otherwise, I believe, that the rapture, if you, if you teach otherwise, that the rapture takes place any time prior to the second coming, you'd have to find an equally impressive number of explicit Scriptures warrant ignoring or casting aside all the passages that we have seen. And we know the Bible doesn't contradict itself, and here are all these explicit passages. In all my 50 years of studying the Bible, I've not found even one passage that explicitly or implicitly teaches a pre-trib rapture. Well, you know, a lot lot of people
2: talk about God's wrath, and how can God's wrath play a role? Uh, You know, God doesn't want us to be receive his wrath how do you deal with scriptures like that
3: well we're going to look at a couple of passages here we're going to evaluate them first uh, thessalonians chapter 1 verses 8 to 10 and first Thessalonians chapter 5 verses 7 through 11 because these talk about the wrath uh, God doesn't appoint us to wrath let me read these and we'll evaluate. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, Paul says, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of, of uh, reception we had among you, how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come." There's one of those passages. Jesus delivers us from the wrath to come. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 7, following, Those who sleep, sleep at night. Those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. Here we go. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we wake or sleep, we might be with him. So we're not destined for wrath.
2: So what's I mean, happening I mean, uh, in the in, during this part of the tribulation wouldn't be defined as God's wrath upon us. Is that what you're saying?
3: Yeah, we've already seen, looking at the literary context of First Thessalonians and Second Thessalonians, Paul has already established that the rapture of the Church takes place at the second coming of Christ. So we're not destined for wrath, but to obtain salvation is, is in, in the context, is, it's talking about the wrath of God when Christ comes back, the, the judgment, uh, the, the wrath, the experience of, you know, the Greek New Testament word used for wrath in both passages is orge. Often the word used to describe our just and holy God's final judgment. My. Um, yeah, in, can I, uh, uh,
2: Dr., doctor- Tell me if—I'm yes. going to let you straighten me out if I'm missing the mark here, but when, when you talk about God's wrath, one of the things that—the uh, Scripture that comes to mind, and you straighten me out if, if I'm missing the mark on this, but in First um, Peter chapter 4, verse 17, it says, "...for the time is coming where judgment must begin in the house of the Lord. And if it begins with us, uh, what shall the end of them be that obey not the gospel of God?" For if the righteous are scarcely saved, what shall be the un- uh, for the ungodly and the sinner? Uh, w- what shall be for them? Now, one of the things that I see in this time frame right now that we're leading into is not God's wrath, but judgment has to begin in the house of the Lord. There's a thing that His saints have to look in the mirror and say, "Oh, here's That's where I've right. missed it, and here's where I've missed it." We are in the looking in the mirror time right now, where God's saying, "I'm, I'm, I'm." Gently rebuking you and saying, "Come, I, I, I need you close to me because we've got big plans to execute in these following days." Would that? Would am I misapplying scripture there, or would that fit in with what you're saying as well?
3: Yeah, I think there, there's a, a coming in you know, as, as times get <clears throat> harder and people go through suffering. There's a refining that takes place. There's yes. a, a cleansing. That, yeah, but
2: that's not wrath. That's a ju- no, it's not God wrath. adjusting that's His kids. <laughs>
3: chastening, chastening, you know. Uh, in preparation for uh, being more Christ-like, it's a, a chasing. Right. But the wrath, the the wrath. Now there is these. So these passages, they they both speak of the the judgment, the yes. judgment, the final judgment. That uh, we're not appointed to those things. Christ had taken care of those things. So we're definitely not appointed to them. But um, there there is in the New Testament just a in chapter one of Romans, Paul writes, "The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and wickedness." And he talks about because they didn't acknowledge God or give thanks to Him, He gave them up. He gave them up, and you see, it's downward spiral. Yes. And and according to according to Paul, that is a, an expression of God's wrath, where He gives up a society that's turned its back on God. But that doesn't mean that Christians are experiencing the wrath of God. Um, will Christians experience God's wrath um, in the tribulation period? That's that's a major question to yes. look at. Um, one of the one of the passages that deals with that the most is uh, and most often quoted is Revelation chapter three verse ten. Um, We'll, we'll look into the, you know, what the what the book of Revelation has to say. I, you know, you get into the book of Revelation, there are so many different approaches. Yes, yes, yes. How to interpret it and and uh, all kinds of things. I where to begin? Different schools of thought. If, if you ever meet anyone who says I've got it all figured out, <laughs> you probably don't want to hang out unless his long. name
2: is the Lord Jesus Christ.
3: Yeah, yeah there you go. <laughs> We've
2: Revelation. got about a minute, uh, a minute and a half here, so oh, you, you know this. St- I, I, my my question probably thwarted your timing. I apologize for That's
3: that. Sorry, okay. you're worth it, brother. You're worth <laughs> it. Revelation has special numbers, symbols, types, creatures, monsters. There's a lot of symbolic things in other words. So um, I like to keep it pretty simple. Here's my brief introduction to the book of Revelation. Jesus, this is my paraphrase of what the point is. Things are hard now, and they're going to get worse, a lot worse. Mm. But Jesus has this. He's coming back. So just hold on. Persevere. Keep on keeping on. Shine your light till the day you die or the day comes back, whichever comes first. And no matter what happens, remember this, Jesus wins, <laughs> and we're with him.
2: Yes, yes, yes. So, so set us so, up for yeah. the next segment there, Doctor.
3: Yeah. We're going to look at uh, Revelation 3.10, where where Paul is speaking to the Church of Philadelphia. Oh. Um you know, he wrote letters to seven churches, and he wrote to, to, to the Church of Philadelphia, and and uh, he said because of your patient endurance uh, that you're not going to have to go through uh, the wrath. <laughs> you oh, know, my, my. And, uh, wow. So we're going to take a look at what the Bible says about that. It, is that experience that Jesus is talking about? Is that uh, the wrath of God is—is uh, is that the, is synonymous with the tribulation period? We're going to get into oh that my. question because that's an important one that people uh, point to a lot. Oh my! Jesus allow His people to go through that kind of thing.
2: Oh my! So um, well, I hope your pencils are sharp, my friend. Maybe you're on your fifth or sixth notepad. And, you know, this book of Revelation where it talks about the Church of Philadelphia is one of my favorite scriptures because I'm a Tabernacle of David guy, and it says that God will give the key of David, open what no man can shut and shut what no man can open. We're going to be talking about these things when Dr. Clayton Ford continues his extrapolation of truth (laughs) when we come right back.
1: More Come Together San Diego with Cass Taylor is next on K Praise. Now, back to Come Together San Diego, the live local show on KPraise with Cass Taylor.
2: Well, welcome back, my friends. And I'll tell you what, we've got quite a captivating show. And Dr. Clayton Ford, it's all your fault. <laughs> before we Before we dive into this any further, I think it would be appropriate for you to give some contact information because you have support documents to support uh, this instruction, don't you? Is there anything you want to tell us before we give you the freedom to close this? We've only got two segments left, (laughs) so maybe you can give us uh, a a website or uh, access information.
3: You can get uh, 10 articles I put into one document on my blog, ClaytonFord.net, but if you email me, you can get that plus a three-hour seminar I did for a school of ministry, a video seminar, My. Uh, with the with the uh, paperwork that I used mm-hmm. to go through that. So I think there've been 1,100 views of that already. So I hope you'll uh, email me and ask for that. I'll be glad to send you a link oh. for that whole video.
2: Very good. So uh, you've uh, enticed us, and uh, you giving us solid evidence on why you believe that the Church will be raptured at the second coming of Christ and not before the Great Tribulation. Dr. Clayton Ford.
3: Yes, I don't know if I... I just real quick, Clayton Ford at sbso, sbcglobal.net is the email address. Yeah. Now, looking, we're going to look at the verse that's often quoted, Revelation chapter 3, verse 10. It's in the context, it's one of it's to the church of philadelphia one of jesus letters to seven different churches in the first in the in verse in chapters 2 and 3 of the book of revelation and in this verse verse 10 jesus says to the church of philadelphia since you have kept my command to endure patiently i will also keep you from the hour of trial my- that is going to come upon the whole world to test those who live on the earth. Okay, so what is that referring to? First, it's important to realize this promise was made to only to the Church of Philadelphia in that time and place. Um, seven is a symbolic number, meet for wholeness, perfection, completeness, and even though Jesus had very different and specific insights and corrections and promises to each of the seven churches, we're probably safe in believing that seven infers the Jesus' letters have pointed relevance to his churches with similar issues and ex- circumstances in all times and places. For example, Jesus' words to the church of Ephesus, they had lost their first love. That would relate to all churches that are dutiful but have lost their first love. The Laodiceans' Jesus' words would have great conviction to every lukewarm, affluent church that thinks they really don't need anything. But when you get to Jesus' promise concerning uh, Philadelphia, this church. Does this promise that He will keep them from the hour of trial? Does it apply to all churches, or just the churches that have kept His word about patient endurance? Oh what about churches? What about churches that have not endured patiently? <laughs> Are they okay? And wow. what do we do with the hour of trial in that passage? Uh, does it represent? Is it clearly a reference to the great tribulation period? Uh, One of several options, that would be one, it could also be the trial of God's judgment at the second coming. Or some scholars believe it could have been a very widespread time of persecution and trials in the more immediate future that they were the early church was going to be living through after this book of revelation was written. So again, it's not clear, but these, so these are viable options, but for the sake of, of uh, the argument let's let's assume that it's talking about the great tribulation even though that's not established that would be more speculative but let's not forget there's as we approach this there's not one verse in the entire New Testament that teaches a pre-tribulation rapture all the verses that speak of being raptured or gathered explicitly teach as we've gone over so far that this will happen at the second coming of Christ. So and let's also establish that not all the tribulation period is God's wrath. Jesus got his followers ready, Matthew 24, they will deliver you up to tribulation, put you to death, you'll be hated by all nations. You know that a good portion of the tribulation period would be the Antichrist um, persecuting, killing Christians, the mark of the beast, all those kinds of things. Um, so if we accept that at least part of the tribulation includes God's wrath against the wicked, is there a more plausible explanation for how Christ's followers will be protected from his wrath rather than resorting to a pre-tribulation rapture, which your Bible nowhere points to explicitly or implicitly? There's a clear reference. Uh, in the book of Ezekiel chapter 9, prior to God pouring out his wrath on the unfaithful in Jerusalem, he ordered that a mark be put on the foreheads of those who, quote, sigh and groan over all the abominations that are committed in Jerusalem. And before he allowed his judgment and wrath to go forth on the wicked, um, he said, but touch no one on whom is the mark. See, He He. So this is
2: not the mark of the beast, this is the mark of God.
3: This is a mark of God. You see the same thing in the book of Revelation, where in chapter 7 of the book of Revelation, he protects his people. As we have seen, uh, he's able to protect uh, people. uh, In in chapter 7, let's look at that, if you've got your Bible there. Chapter 7, you've got Two groups of people. You've got hundred and forty-four thousand, uh, a thousand from every all the time. tribes of yeah. Israel, it says, and then you've got the verse nine. He looked and he saw a great multitude from every nation under heaven, all peoples and languages, and those those are the ones who had come out of the great tribulation. So you've got two groups of people. Now We'll get to who the 144,000 is in the next segment, Lord willing. um,
2: Big topic. But
3: but, um, whether you believe that's truly Israel or not, and I'll make a case for why I believe it's symbolic of the church, I'll make a strong case for that in a minute. But let's just say you believe it's the Jews, literal Jewish uh, people in times, they are sealed. Are they not sealed and go through, uh, experience the tribulation where the wrath of God is poured out? Is that not the case with them? You know, um, Jesus' followers will be on earth during the great tribulation because it says in Revelation 13, Revelation 14, that uh, here's a call for the endurance of the saints. Mm-hmm. And Revelation 14, 12 defines who the saints are, those who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus, quotes.
2: That pretty so much says be, they're believers, doesn't it?
3: Yeah, they'll be servants of God, Jesus followers. So if you say, well, we won't, we won't be there, the church will be raptured. Well, God went to a lot of trouble to unite the Jews and Gentiles mm. as one body in Christ. As a matter of fact— Yep, one new man— extremely important to God, what he did. It's a mystery revealed in chapter 3. The mystery uh, finally revealed that Gentiles are fellow heirs with Jews. In, in verse 10 of chapter 3 of Ephesians, that not only is is that exhibit A of God's purpose on the earth, but he broadcast, it says, to the powers and principalities in the heavenly realm. In other words, the one body in Christ Jews and Gentiles United um, is what took him centuries to put together in Christ. By the blood of Christ, he broke down the dividing wall of hostility, and he made one new man in the place of two.
2: Now, we've only got about a minute left in this segment. So Mm -hmm. do what you do, doctor. Do what you do.
3: Why would God separate that which took him all those centuries to prepare to have done in Christ. He's made us one new body in place of the two. Some people think that, you know, replacement theology means Israel's not important and people are treating the Jews unimportantly. That's, that's not the case at all. God has graciously included with Israel, with the Jews, the believers in Jesus, Yeshua HaMashiach, He's included Jews and Gentiles in one body in Christ. Now, let me ask you, why would he separate those? Why would he say the Gentiles, would he be saying the Gentiles Christians are superior so they don't need to go through it? Oh or would they say the, Jew, the Jews are superior so they get the honor of going through it? Why would he say, well, some believers, followers of Jesus, uh, Won't go through that. God won't subject him them to wrath. But why would He allow then the Jewish believers to go through that if you believe that that's who the hundred forty four thousand are? It just doesn't pan out. Wow, a, you,
2: you've got a tremendous uh, task in the last segment here, is to tie all these things together oh, and to come up Jesus. with a major conclusion. Help. My listening friend, uh, I, I tell Listen. you, uh, two hours doesn't hardly get it here. So anyway, so I'm encouraging you to join us for the last segment because uh, Dr. Clayton Ford is going to tie all these things together and give you a tremendous amount of hope, but also a tremendous uh, directive to study to show yourself approved under God, we'll be right back.
1: This is Come Together San Diego, the live local show on K Praise. More Come Together San Diego is just moments away. Now, more of Come Together San Diego, the live local show on K Praise. Here's Kaz Taylor.
2: Indeed, I am back. The last segment of this two-hour broadcast with co-host Dr. Clayton Ford and. He's telling you why he believes that the Church will be raptured at the second coming of Christ and not before the Great Tribulation. And my listening friend, I need to tell you this right now because I know you're going to want to get into this and hear it multiple times. This is a live broadcast, but we do have a, a, a benefit called podcasts podcast which uh, show up in the uh, kprz.com drop-down menu when you go there, and those podcasts should be available uh, within a couple of days So there you go I'm handing it over to Clayton Ford And you've got a lot to do in this last segment Which is probably a little less Than uh, 10 minutes Lay it on us
3: <laughs> Yes In this in this segment I wanted to talk about the, Who are the 144,000 And who are those Who have come out of the Great Tribulation period And washed their robes Um, want to look at what the Bible teaches about these things. I'm going to tell you some very significant reasons why I believe 144,000 sealed servants of God represent the church and not the literal Israel.
2: And he's going to do it in uh, eight minutes or less. (laughs) In
3: looking looking at chapter 7 of Revelation, uh, John saw... You know the angels and so forth, and and then uh, he 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 heard, uh, do not harm the land or the sea or the trees until we put a seal on the foreheads of the servants of our God, and I heard the number of those who were sealed, one hundred forty-four thousand, and he lists twelve tribes of Israel. I want you to note, uh, it's not literal twelve tribes because the tribe of Dan is missing, and Joseph and Manasseh are both included. Um, Joseph being the father of Manasseh, so so it's not a literal.
2: As is but, Levi, as I recall.
3: Yeah, Levi's in there, um, but not not Dan. So then you've got in verse nine. I looked in. So he hears, hundred forty-four thousand from every tribe, thousand from every tribe of Israel. After this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language. And they were wearing white robes, palm branches, s- s- praising the Lord. Salvation belongs to our God. Verse 13 tells us who they are, these in white. Who are they? They, are the, they who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the land. Now, the reason I, one reason I believe that this refers to the the church, the 144,000, if you look at Revelation chapter 5, you see something that that John does. Uh, Again, there's symbolism in the book of Revelation, and John sees nobody, there's no one who can open the seals, and John is weeping, there's no one to fulfill God's plan, and then someone says, wait the Lion of the tribe of Judah. He is worthy. And so he hears Lion of the tribe of Judah, and it says, I looked, I saw a lamb as if it had been slain. So he hears one thing, and when he looks to see it, he sees lamb. He, he hears lion, he sees lamb. Here in this in this uh, chapter, he hears the servants of God say, Sealed the seal of God on their foreheads, hundred a uh, thousand from from twelve tribes. He hears that he looks and he sees people from every tongue and tribe and nation who've come through the great tribulation. I believe that's more than coincidental. I I believe that uh, you know the symbolism. The lion is the lamb. Yes. And yes. the hundred forty four thousand is those who have come out of the great tribulation. Uh, that's why he said, uh, this is a call for the endurance of the saints. Another reason I believe is the numbers 12 and, and multiples of 12, 144, 144, 144,000 are used symbolically in other places like the measurement of the temple. I believe it's in chapter 21. Well, I'm just going to have to go through these reasons quickly. Um, there's a, I mentioned the problem with the revelation, the uh, numbers, uh, the tribes. Another compelling reason. Um, You've got
2: about three minutes.
3: Three minutes. Okay. God doesn't generally go backwards with his purposes and revelations. As I said before, he went to a great deal of trouble to create in himself one new man, one family of God. You know, because I was thinking about, marriage. A man is called to serve the Lord in a particular way. He gets married. That call doesn't change. (laughs) It's just added to (laughs) the same. God chose Israel. God chose Jewish believers. And uh, we're not replacing Jewish believers. God has joined us together. Covenant relationship in Christ, one body. So important. Um, And then you've got, let's see, The ones coming out of the Great Tribulation, they've washed their robes, they've made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Uh, Obviously, they haven't been raptured. (laughs) Uh, Hardly a description of people who've been raptured. It makes a lot more sense to see that the sealed servants of God are also the ones that went through the Tribulation period. But the point of the sealing is that we don't experience the wrath of God during the Tribulation period. God has not destined us for wrath. He's destined us for salvation. But we are there and we are shining our lights, should we be that last generation? Oh my. Um, then another another point.
2: You've got about uh, a minute and a half.
3: Minute and a half. In in the book of Revelation, John repeatedly prepares churches to patiently endure. In the letters to the seven churches, he he says to Ephesus. I know you're enduring patiently to Smyrna. I know your tribulation, be patient, uh, be faithful unto death. To Theatira, I know your patient endurance, hold fast. Goes on over and over. Uh, and this is a call for the endurance of the saints. The purpose of Revelation is to encourage believers in Christ. He wrote the letter to the seven churches. He's saying, you guys, prepare uh, to endure this is what it's about: preparing Christians for tough times ahead. Oh, my um, so, so, so,
2: I think we need to give a, a great deal of hope to the people that are listening. They've they've had to hear some things that maybe they weren't ready to hear, but they. they certainly have some uh, things that need to study out because each one of us have to be accountable directly t- to God for our decisions. So, well, well, spend about 30 seconds tying this all together with a word of encouragement because my friend as as uh, uh Dr. Doc- Dr um whatever his name is, Clayton Ford. <laughs> I'm sorry, Clayton. Uh as as he said, we win. That's the the good thing. We Absolutely. win. Handing it to you for the final thirty second conclusion,
3: Yes, well, even though what I'm talking about isn't necessarily comforting, uh, it's important that we have the mindset Jesus went through it, the early church went through it, Christians all over the world are going through very difficult things, but we need to know that we're we're sealed that God seals us. We will not experience his wrath. Uh, but we may go through very difficult times. And, and just as a final thought, Jesus, uh, Paul writes that nothing, Romans 8, nothing can separate us mm. from the love of God. Mm. Not tribulation, not life or death, not past, present, future, not anything in all creation can separate us from the love of god we will be loved by god his grace will be sufficient to get us through whatever we need to face and we we, we hope and rejoice that we might and hope to hear. Well done, good and yes. faithful
2: servant.
3: Enter into the joy of your Lord.
2: Oh, my, my. So so, Dr. Clayton Ford has given you a bunch of stuff. I'm going to give you a website for him that can give you the support information as well and other videos. Clayton Ford, C-L-A-Y-T-O-N-F-O-R-D at sbcglobal.net. Uh, uh, Clayton Ford, Thank you so much for investing your time with us. And my listening friend, I hope you were stirred and that you can dig in and study to show yourself approved unto God. See you next week. God bless you, and thank you, Dr. Ford.